Hi, I'm Jess. And I'm Nina. And you're listening to Slice Slice of Murder. Murder. episode of slice of murder and it is currently the best week in the whole world it's our week (laughs) our week which is teacher appreciation week (laughs) well i think actually it's it's next next week week. (laughs) we i didn't realize i thought it was this week because your school is also celebrating this week i don't know why we do it a week early but then like yeah, it's it's all being celebrated a week early, so I was like, well, I guess it is this week. I don't know why they just don't do it next week. Yeah, well, our principal confessed to us that he, last year, he got the week wrong on the school calendar, so he oh, just went with it, and yeah. then he quoted Taylor Swift saying, it's the problem, I'm the problem, it's me. And so, so then I he, just used the, he just used the same exact week this week? Like this yeah, year? Yeah, I think so. No. So that's why we're having it this I don't, week. I don't know. I don't know why you are. I don't know either. Well, then I guess we have to have two weeks. So this week and next week, our teacher appreciation week. Yeah. So if you're a teacher, then we appreciate you're the best you. and we appreciate you. And if you know a teacher, then you need to go tell them that you appreciate them. Yes. That's the least you can do. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um... So let's start off with our rose and our thorn of the past week. You can go first. Okay, well, that's kind of my rose is that since it is Teacher Appreciation Week, today we got a pancake breakfast. It was super sweet. We had staff in there, like, in the morning. They were cooking the pancakes in the teacher's lounge, and then they had eggs for us and then, like, berries and stuff. It was super sweet. Yeah, I would say, that's what I was going to say, too. My school does, like, a really good job with, like, getting food for us this week. So, this morning we had, like, breakfast sandwiches. And then we had these, like, really good tacos for lunch, too. So, like, my rose is that I don't have to buy food for lunch or for breakfast for this whole week. Because they're just feeding us for everything. Yeah. Honestly, I love that. I I wish we could have free lunch all the time. Literally. It's such a pain to just pack for oh and think about. That's like we were just biggest, talking about that. That's like my biggest, like, I don't even know what. Like, that's just like the the thing like that causes annoyance. me the most pain ever is like packing lunch. I don't know why. It really just hurts me so badly mm-hmm. to do that. Yeah. I agree. And then, so that was also your roast? Yeah, yeah. Not having to buy food for the week. Yeah. So now a thorn... I guess we did not. Everything else we did, <laughs> we did not discuss this before we got started. We just pressed play. Yeah, and here we are. Um, I guess my thorn would be that it was cold today, and it's gonna be cold this week. That is true. It's like all of a sudden, it's getting colder again. I, I thought we were gonna get sunny weather yeah from now on but no. no it's gonna be cold this like whole week which is kind of annoying yeah that's a bummer but yeah that's mine yeah that can be mine too okay or like yeah that. <laughs> <laughs> i won't go any further than that okay so this episode is part two of the colonial parkway murders 
Um, so we did part one last week. If you haven't listened to that, you're going to be a little bit confused. So you can go back and listen to that if you haven't already, because this is part two. So we're going through the kind of second half of the victims that are attributed to this case. And then we're going to be going over some like possible theories and some possible suspects. But like I said before, this case is unsolved. So mm-hmm. there's not really too many suspects out there because obviously they haven't been able to prove anything yet yeah that's so unfortunate and then i do remember you left off on like talking about one of the victims right Right. so we left off we talked about two pairs of victims last time we talked about kathleen thomas and rebecca dowski and we talked about robin edwards and david nobling Mm -hmm. so um again if you haven't listened to the last episode Go ahead and listen to it. But they were two pairs of victims, both found together, both found murdered. Um, And at this time, these cases weren't really linked just because they were being investigated by different, like, personnel. So they didn't really, like, have any interconnection between the two. Um, But with these next few cases and with these next few victims that are going to come up, Uh, people began to link these cases together. Oh, good. Yeah. So we're going to go ahead and we're just going to start talking um, about the next pair of victims. So this occurs on April 9th, 1988. So at this time, two students at Christopher Newport College um, were going on their first date together. So these two students were Cassandra Haley, whose nickname was Sandy, um, she was 18 years old, and she was from Grafton, Virginia. And the uh, the other student was Richard Call, who usually went by his middle name, Keith. And he was a 20-year-old from Gloucester County. So this date was strange for, like, a couple reasons. Like, it wasn't just, like, a normal date. Like, they were not dating. This was, like, a first date mm-hmm. kind of situation. So Keith had just broken up with his girlfriend, and they'd been dating for about four years. And this is, like, a few weeks later. So, I mean... You know, he's yeah. getting back out there, but it's like... And that's pretty long for a high school relationship. It is. Yeah, it is. So it's like, he's getting back out there, but it, it's like, it's definitely not like these two had been, like, together. Like, this is literally their first date. Like, they... It's not like these two were, like, a loving couple, you know? So yeah. It was... This will be, like, important later, but it's just... It's, like, a little bit weird, because, like, mm-hmm. this is their first date, whatever. Um, They went to a party for their first date, so they went to a party being held at the Warwick Boulevard Apartments... And they were actually originally going to be going to the movies, and Keith picked up Sandy at her parents' home, and they were originally going to go to the movies, but I guess something happened, and that's, like, the second reason why this is weird. Like, mm-hmm. they were supposed to go to the movies, and they ended up going to this party instead. Oh, Obviously, nobody really knows why, because these two were never able to, like, they weren't able to ask, answer questions about that, because, unfortunately, both of them passed away. Um... But that's just, like, another kind of weird note. Kind of like the last case that we talked about, this case is kind of like a series of unfortunate coincidences. Mm-hmm. You know, like, they were in, there was somewhere they shouldn't have been. Like, they were somewhere they weren't originally planning on going. And, unfortunately, they ended up at the hands of maybe a serial killer, maybe a murderer. We don't really know. Yeah, and I think this just speaks to... Like, who it was. Like, it could have been someone who was planning for them to be there. Right. Like, it had to have been somebody they switched random. up mm-hmm. their plans. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Like, because that's, like, something we're talking about. Either 
like before in their earlier two cases, well, it was if it was it somebody that knows them. Well, not necessarily. Like probably not now because they weren't where they were supposed to be. Like they changed their plans last minute. Um, and during this date, the two like barely spoke. Like this was, and it wasn't going like badly. Like they weren't like mad at each other, you know. But it was just like like that awkward they first yeah, date. They like weren't speaking to each other. Yeah. And it's like it's a party, so it's like you don't really need to talk to each other if you don't want to like Mm -hmm. I think it's like if they had gone to the movies or gone to a more like personal intimate kind of date then they maybe would have been speaking more so that kind of like makes me think well maybe they were supposed to go to the movies but maybe both of them like weren't really feeling it and like we're like oh well I mean but like we're both going out you know but like maybe Keith was like I'm not over my ex-girlfriend and then Sandy was like I'm just not really like feeling this right now so like but let's not just, like, call off the whole night. Like, why don't we just go to a party instead, you yeah, know? Yeah, because I feel like it's a lot of pressure. Even though you don't really talk at the movies, you are yeah, just, it's like, like, with them. I know. It is more intimate. Yeah. Whereas a party, there's, like, a lot more people. And then there's yeah. other, more of their friends, right? Yeah. 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 So it's not as much pressure. So that's, like, maybe I was thinking, I was like, oh, maybe they're just, like, eh, well. But, like, let's be friendly, so, like, let's just go to this yeah. party, you know? Or what if the movie they wanted to watch was, like, sold out right. or something? Right. Um. Yeah, so, like, they didn't really speak that much. To bystanders at that party, it didn't seem like Keith and Sandy really hit it off. Keith was, like, spending most of his friend- time talking to his friends, and then Sandy was, like, talking to friends of her own or to other, even to, like, other guys at the party. So it was not like these people were being, like, super loved up, right? So Keith or Sandy, um, was they were not seen leaving the party. So nobody can really place them at, like, a last moment. Like, nobody can really say, oh, we saw Keith and Sandy leave at this exact time. Which would have been helpful because it might have narrowed down the time that they were last seen at and the time that they possibly could have been attacked. Mm-hmm. So... To everybody's best of everybody's knowledge, they were in last scene around 1.30 um, because Sandy's curfew was at 2 in the morning, and so Keith had to have her back by that time. So the apartments where, where this party was at was about 30 minutes away from where they lived, so it was like, well, if you have to make take a best guess, they probably left around 1.30 because Keith had to have her back by 2. Yeah. So did they have to go back together because they arrived together? Um, I mean, I think, like, it seems like Keith was, like, a gentleman, you know? Like, I'm sure, like, he wasn't just gonna, like, leave her to fend for herself, you know? I mean, I'm sure she could have gotten a ride from, like, somebody else, but, I mean, it's like, I feel like, it's like, as long as you have a ride and, like, you know, you have to be back at your house and, like, this guy's already planning to take you back there, like, mm, you might as well just, like take it, you know? I guess just because they were hanging out with their friends there, it seems a bit odd that... Like, then they go home together, or, like, nobody knows when they left if they were hanging out with friends. friends, yeah. But, yeah, so it's believed that the two probably began driving home at around this time. So, several hours after Keith and Sandy were last seen by classmates at the party, Keith's red 1982 Toyota Celica was found. Um, So, this is, like, a pretty important car to Keith. He had gotten it as a gift from his parents, from his high school graduation. So it was, like, a pretty new car because, you know, he is, what, he's 19? Like, he's 20. So, mm-hmm. like, his high school graduation hasn't been that long ago. Um, it He, like, really loved this car. And it was seen, like, on the side of the road. So this was, like, immediately strange because his parents knew he would not have just, like, ditched this car 
because he just got as a gift and it was like it just not it's not something he just would have like left behind to go do something was he a car guy i don't think he was as much of a car guy as uh, our friend david back in the previous episode but it was like still like he's not gonna leave his car that he got as a gift just like out yeah. on the road so it was found abandoned at the york river overlook along the colonial parkway um and this was about two miles east of the first crime scene from 1986. Mm-hmm. So it really wasn't that far at all. And Keith's father, Richard, was, at first they thought, he was the first known person to discover the vehicle. And so obviously he knows his son's car. Like, he's the one that bought this car for his kid. So he saw this vehicle, um, and he was heading to his place of work um, at around 715 So he saw this red Toyota parked along the Colonial Parkway, and he decided to pull over to give it a look. He's like, something's, like, not right here, you know? Like, my this is my kid's car. He didn't come home last night. I don't think he had as strict of a curfew as, like, Sandy did. Yeah. I think that, I mean, he was in college. He's in 20. Like, he's 20. He's like, well, if my kid's, like, out hooking up with somebody, like, on the parkway, like, whatever. But... I, he just wanted to go take a look at it because it's still worrying to like yeah, still be out there at the 7.15. And I think that he didn't immediately assume something was like super wrong when he just saw this car. Like, you know, maybe he assumed, oh, maybe they were drinking and he didn't want to drive all the way home. So he just like pulled over and fell asleep. But Yeah, because why would he assume the worst case scenario? Right. But it's still something he wanted to check out. So he knew his keys and he looked inside the empty car And, you know, at first he said that nothing really seemed wrong um, because he didn't really notice anything inside the car that would, like, strike him as something happened. Like, Mm -hmm. something happened. There was, like, no sign of violence. There was nothing going on with the car that seemed like it had been abandoned, like, in a hurry. So he just saw Keith's wristwatch, Sandy's purse, and, like, a couple of empty beer cans. Um, So he said that he knew Keith had been out with a girlfriend the night before um he assumed keith and his date had parked there to hook up and then like went on a walk or something like Mm -hmm. around the area so it later became clear though that the vehicle had been abandoned so a park ranger came upon the vehicle about two hours later uh, and he said he discovered the driver's side door to the toyota celica was open and he said that the glove box was opened inside so he said that he um, found near the ga- ga- gas and the brake pedals, he said he saw Keith's shoes. Um, inside, he saw a wide variety of items, which was Sandy's purse, Keith's watch, a pair of glasses, the car keys, um, Keith's wallet, uh, some beer cans, and several items of clothing folded up neatly on the back seat, which included all of Keith's clothing and some of Sandy's clothing. Um, he said that they couldn't find Sandy's wallet or her money or her jewelry. So they couldn't find these things, which is why they like initially they kind of thought of it was interesting because they saw Keith's wallet, but they didn't find uh, Sandy's wallet. So they called Keith's dad, and Richard said that when he was looking in the car previously, he had not seen all of these things. He's like, I would have noticed if those things were there, and I would have been like freaked out if my kid's clothes were there, you know? Like, it's one thing to go and like hook up with the girl and take a walk and it's another thing to like take a walk naked like why would your clothes yeah. be back there you know so there, he was, did we say there's a body of water um it's like 
kind of near a body of water. Yes, like the whole parkway is like kind of near a body of water. It's not that far from a body of water. Um, I know they keep on saying like, oh, you're going skinny dipping. I'm like, but it's like not nice <laughs> enough to go skinny dipping. It's like 50 degrees. Like That is cold. Like, yeah. So he said he hadn't seen all of these things. He was like, I would have called something in if I had noticed all of these things. So at first, people suspected that like whoever had attacked Keith and Sandy had been back. So they said, oh, maybe they, like, Keith's dad found the car. The killer was at that moment, like, attacking Keith and Sandy somewhere else. And then he came back to put, the, put their clothes and everything back in the car. However, as the investigation went on, it actually came out. It was, like, a lot less dramatic than that. It came out that the park rangers, like, kind of messed up the timeline and the scene and, like, misremembered the times they had found the car. So they basically came to the conclusion that the park rangers, like, found the car before Keith's dad had and moved the clothes and the valuables in it because they, like, found all these things, the clothes and the valuables, and they didn't think it was anything wrong, so they kind of just moved the things just believing that, like, the couple had taken a walk. So they wanted to take several of the items from inside the vehicle, like, to hide the valuables, like, in case anybody came and stole them. So and, the park rangers did? Yes. Oh. And then also to, like, identify, like, the missing couple. So yeah. it's, like, if they found two people that were whatever, they, like, wanted to make sure to be, like, oh, it's, like, 7.15 in the morning. Like, here's your clothes. Like, you might need yeah. these, you know? And then to just make sure nothing, like, their watch, his watch didn't get stolen from the car because mm-hmm. it was basically just abandoned. Um, but then when they realized, oh, this is actually maybe more of, like, an abduction slash murder, like, crime scene, they put the stuff back to their best knowledge where they had found it, but obviously this, like, contaminated the crime scene Mm. in the process. So that's why they think the clothes, like, it was not like the killer had come back in the hours between Keith's dad, like, finding it and the park rangers finding it. It would have been the the opposite way around. Yeah, so it was like the park rangers had come across it. They just didn't have good communication. Like, some park rangers just moved their stuff, went to go find the couple, then Keith's dad found the car while they were doing that, and then by the time they realized it was something more serious, they put it, those clothes back, so it looked like how they these tried to make it look. Appear. Yes, yeah. how yeah. it was before. Right. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of confusion about like when things had happened and like what things had happened when because it didn't look like anything too serious at the beginning of this whole thing. It just looked like. Two kids might have been hooking up in the car and then gone out to take a walk. Yeah, it's kind of like the other cases from right. part one. Yeah, where the wallet is left in the car, right. the shoes. Right. right? We have so we already coding. see like similarities between that. So Keith's um, Toyota had been abandoned along the Colonial Parkway. And I think like because it's something to do like where these things were found. Um, and I think it's because it was in the same area of the first case. Um, it was, this case was handled by the FBI instead of the police. So this is like automatically being handled by the same people that were, are investigating currently the first case. Um, because remember David and Raman were being investigated by a completely different division, but the first case was being investigated by the FBI. So this one is being investigated by the FBI as well. Where the other ones were just Um, the local area? The first one was the FBI. So um, Rebecca and Kathleen are Mm -hmm. are being investigated by the FBI. But Robin and David 
because of the area that their car was found, is invest- being investigated by, like, the local police. Okay. Yeah. So, this one is being investigated by the FBI as well. Which makes it a little bit easier to, like, link the two things, because then they have all the information from the first case, and they're able to kind of make the connections from the first case, mm-hmm. things like that. So, um, they impounded the vehicle, and they were, like, trying to kind of figure out what might have happened. Multiple fingerprints were recovered from the vehicle, and FBI investigators found out that the driver's seat was moved much more forward than normal. So Keith was like about six feet, five eleven, six feet. But the car, like it was moved up, the seat was moved up enough to like kind of have somebody they thought was about five four driving the car. Oh, okay. so obviously, like he's not going to crunch himself up to be yeah. five four, like somebody five four driving this car. Um, so, like, automatically they thought that was weird. They didn't think it was necessarily the person who had killed them had been driving the car and was 5'4", but they thought that they had moved it up to kind of, like, distract from their real high or just confuse the FBI investigators more. Ugh. Yeah. Um, and they also figured out that the car had mud all over the tires, which to them seemed to suggest that the car was not just driven on the road, like it wasn't just being driven on the parkway, but it had been somewhere previously with wet conditions. So that could have been like a dirt road or an unpaved road, something like that that wasn't just on the parkway, because obviously you would not get mud on your car from just driving on the parkway, mm. you know? Like it's, you shouldn't at least, it gets like a normal highway road like you're not gonna get mud all over your tires yeah so do they think that means they stopped somewhere else or that the killer drove the car through somewhere so we'll get into it but they think it kind of at the end of this they think that many of these cars were abandoned after the fact like they had been stopped somewhere else and then the killer had taken their car and abandoned it along the side of the freeway yeah So, in the days after the vehicle was found, searches were conducted along the Colonial Parkway, and the FBI used tracking dogs who tracked the scent of both Keith and Sandy, uh, using their clothing found in the car as a scent. Sandy's scent went about a mile west from the crime scene, Keith's scent also went west along the parkway, and then actually circled back close to where his vehicle had been abandoned, and several dogs tracked the same route independently, so like they let several different dogs go, and they all followed the same route, but no trace of Keith, Sandy or Keith was found. So they were able to track their scent, but they weren't able to find them. Um, they also had a search of the region around their, where their car was found that covered more than three miles of shoreline, because yes, this is near a body of water. Um, it was found. It was the search was done both east and west of where the vehicle had been found, but they weren't able to find anything. They also did helicopter searches, but were also unsuccessful in finding anything important. What? And this is kind of what we were talking about, like m- m- just previously. Keith or Sandy like were not known to use the Colonial Parkway, so this is like not something, not really somewhere they went. It wasn't really somewhere like people thought they would go. Like we said, this was, like, definitely a place that you would go if you were going to, like, hook up, especially that night, like, late at night. And people were, like, they weren't into each other like that. Like, they were friendly. Like, they weren't fighting or anything. It wasn't, like, a, a, a bad relationship. It was just, like, they hadn't gone on any dates. This was their first date. And 
like it just wasn't really they weren't really feeling the spark like they just like weren't really feeling each other and like they weren't being like they weren't mad at each other but it's like they also would not have gone to this parkway to hook up you know like it just doesn't really make a lot of sense to yeah. their friends and their family so it was believed by people who were close to them um, that the vehicle had been left there by the person responsible for their disappearance. So they were like, you know, Keith or Sandy are both cautious. Like, they're both very cautious people. They're not just going to drive down to this parkway to go drink or to go hook up after this party. Sandy has to be back at her house by 2 in the morning. She's super responsible. That's like, right. She has not, a curfew. Right. They're not just going to be suddenly like, fuck it. Like, let's go hook up and drink beer on the parkway. Like, neither of them were described as that sort of person at all. So they kind of believe that their car had been abandoned there by whoever had killed them. Yeah. Yeah. But unlike the other case, um, or the other two cases, the bodies of Sandra Haley and Richard Call were never found. So to this day, they have never been found, which makes this case a little bit more difficult to kind of link or to find an MO for this case because we don't have any physical evidence of what might have happened Mm -hmm. to them. So Keith and Sandy's family believe that this case was mishandled and that the police lost out on key evidence that may have linked their disappearance to an individual just because of like what we talked about earlier, like the whole confusion around like when things happened or like who found the vehicle first or what things were like before people moved them around. Like it definitely was kind of like mishandled, you know, like it was like definitely compromised. I feel like even though, yeah, there are wallets out, I don't know. Like, why would you move that? I know. It's just like... I know. Like, even if you didn't think it was anything, like, legit. And actually, the FBI thought that the park rangers had something to do with it because they were like, oh, but you, like, you compromised all this evidence. So they were, like, looking into the park rangers for a while and being like, did you have something to do with this murder? Because, like, you're looking real suspicious right Mm -hmm. now. Um, so that, yeah, that was like a theory for a while. I'm glad they did look into that. Yeah. Um, and so the families and the police were like able to make their theories about what have happened. It was ultimately theorized that Keith and Sandy had gone out somewhere. They had been driving somewhere along a highway, maybe along the parkway, although people didn't think it was certain, um, where they were stopped by somebody either who like looked like they needed help or somebody who looked like they were an official yeah yeah so like by a police officer or by a park ranger or somebody that had some sort of like official power that they would have listened to that either lured them to a second location or who took them out of their car and brought them to a second location by force and then that person after killing them took their car and disposed it along the parkway yeah because like we said in a lot of the other cases the person was able to get, like, super close to them. Yeah. And, like, two people, again, like, this is two people, two, like, young people, you know? So. Yeah, that you, that seemed really responsible, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, they wouldn't just stop for anyone. Yeah. It seems like. Yeah, I agree. Like, if it was, like, a hitchhiker or something, like, no. They'd probably just drive right by. Right. So, unfortunately, searches for Sandy and Keith were officially called off at the end of May 1988. And while the bodies of Sandy and Keith 
are still never found. Their cases were almost immediately linked to, like, the ongoing set of murders. So at this point, they were able to kind of look at the past couple months and be like, okay, well, we have something going on here. Like, we have, we definitely have a a crime spree happening. And this was attributed to a still unknown person. Like they said, we, they've literally had no leads that like have worked out, but they knew were, was potentially targeting couples, young couples, especially somewhere like down this parkway or across like the Virginia Peninsula as a whole. Yeah. So in May of that same month, the FBI actually announced a $10,000 reward for information in the double murder of Kathleen and Rebecca from 1986. And people thought this was kind of weird because it was like two years later. So that happened in 1986. This was in 1988. So like a year and a half, two years later. And they said they released this reward because they cited imminent danger to the public. Um, so investigators didn't officially state this, but they people believe that the rationale for this war- reward was linked to the recent disappearance of Cassandra and Keith. Yeah. So, like, that once I announced this about um, Kathleen and Rebecca, they were like, oh, this is definitely something to do with, like, these two other people mm-hmm. that went missing as well. And uh, the special agent in charge of the FBI office in Norfolk, Virginia, uh, told the press that the possibility exists that people in this community remain in danger. So, like, at this point, they were kind of, like, starting to put everything together. They were believing genuinely that this person was alive and, like, active in this specific area. Which is good that they were, like, kind of starting to piece things together. Yeah, it's good. It took them a little while, but they're they're there. I know. And, yeah, I think it's important for the public to know, especially because now they'll be more alert and hopefully, like, give tips to authorities. Uh And if they notice something or if they know things, I'm sure... Some of that will come into the theories later. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to go to the fourth and final attributed pair of murders. We'll go over some later that they think are tied to this person, maybe, but it's not like as clearly tied or as clearly defined to this serial killer as these last ones are. Okay. So this took place over 1989, Labor Day weekend. Um, Daniel Lauer was a 21-year-old that lived in Virginia's Amelia County, but he had gone out to visit his brother in Virginia Beach over Labor Day weekend. Um, his brother is named Clinton, and Clinton Lauer lived in Virginia Beach with his fiance, 18-year-old Anna Maria Phelps. Um, while out there, Daniel spoke to his brother, and he was, like, kind of wanting a fresh start, so he had kind of been, like, over what he'd been doing so far like he just like wanted to like just like move out and like start fresh somewhere else and clinton also was struggling with like money so he and his fiance were struggling with money issues and he needed help paying rent so he was like oh i have a good idea like instead of having two people paying rent why don't you move in with us like you can get your fresh start down here do something new and we can split the rent three ways instead of two ways and then it'll be a lot easier for us to pay So Clinton and Anna invited Daniel to come out and live with them for the time being, and Daniel said yes. So Daniel decided he would move in the following week um, because he still needed to, like, go and get all of his things from his family's home. Like, he was just here for vacation. He he wasn't here, like, planning on moving in. 
So he said yes, but he was like, okay, well, I need to drive back home first, get all my stuff, and then I'll come move in with you guys. So the following Monday, uh, which was September 4th, Daniel decided he was going to drive home, which is only like two hours away. So it wasn't a far away away at all. He drove home back to his parents' home in Amelia County, and he also drove home his friends who were with him that weekend, and he drove home Anna Maria. So Anna Maria wanted to visit with her own family, who was also from the same place that David and Clinton were from, so she tagged along for the ride. Um, But it wasn't like they were going to be back home for a while. They were only going to be back home for a couple hours. Like, he was just going to drop his friends off at home, grab his last couple belongings, and then they were going to drive back down to Virginia Beach. So Daniel and Anna were last seen around 11.15 p.m., They both left the Lauer family's home in Daniel's gold 1972 Chevy Nova. And the drive from the Lauer family home to Virginia Beach is like a pretty straight shot. Um, There's really only like a couple major highways that go through this area. Uh, So they were going to make most of the trip along I-64. Like whenever I drove from... New Jersey to Georgetown like it's like it's like a straight highway like it's like you literally get on this highway and it's like keep driving for 98 miles like along the highway like it's literally just like a straight highway like it's not like this area no but like it's not it's no it's not it's like but it's like not confusing at all like you know it's like not something that you would get you won't get lost here it's not like you need to make all these crazy turns like and all of the places by that is, like, a pretty straight shot. Just It's just, like, straight downwards, you know? Like, you're not all of the, the major cities. Like, if you follow down from, like, Georgetown, you go to Richmond, and then you go, you know, down to Virginia Beach. It's, like, it's not, like, these crazy locations. Like, they're all pretty much one on top of the other. Mm-hmm. So they were going to be making most of the trip along I-64, um, going to Virginia Beach, And Clinton was waiting up for them at home. So he's, like, waiting for his little brother and his fiancé to get home. It shouldn't have taken them that far, like, or that long. Like, if they left at 11.15, they should have been back by, like, at the latest 2 in the morning. Because, obviously, there's no traffic. It's only supposed to be, like, a two-hour drive in the first place. So he was like, yeah, I'll wait up for you guys. Like, it's not going to be that much of an issue. Mm -hmm. But as hours began to pass, it became clear that something had happened to um, Daniel and Anna Maria. They did not come back when they were supposed to, and his brother became very worried. So early the next morning, Clinton drove along I-64 with a co-worker, looking to see if his brother and his fiancé had maybe broken down along the side of the road. Again, at this time, it's not like he had a cell phone to, like, call somebody and be like hey like my car broke down or like hey i ran out of gas yeah like, like what did people do if their car broke down in the middle of the night like in this case how he's thinking this happened i think that's like i think you just have to ask random people Ugh. for help like like i just i think that's like what you had to do you know or like go and walk somewhere to find help mm-hmm. but so he was kind of just like checking to make sure that, that didn't happen um, and after some time, Clinton and his friend had to return home. Like, they were losing gas. Like, they didn't have that much gas left over, and they were, like, losing time. Like, he also had to be at, like, work and stuff the next day. So he just missed their car because he was only a few miles away from the rest stop where Daniel's car was abandoned for the last time. So the following day, which is on September 5th, 
Daniel Shevinova was found abandoned by state transportation officials at the I-65 New Kent rest stop, which was facing the opposite direction of where Daniel and Anna had been headed. So they were supposed to be traveling east to get to Virginia Beach, and then this rest stop was, like, facing the west. So they it was, like, the opposite direction of where their car should have been. Mm. Again, this is not, like, it's not, like, a super confusing highway, you know? Like, it's not, like, it's really easy to get turned around. It's not, like, they thought they were supposed to be going one way and they made a wrong turn. Like, they should have just been on a straight shot. Like, they should have just gotten on this highway and just continued straight, you yeah. know? Unless, do you think that they needed to, like, desperately stop? Like, for um, something, and then, like, took a turn, even though it was the wrong way? Not necessarily, because when they found this car, an inspection of the vehicle, it was found that it was fine. Like, nothing was broken, nothing was wrong with it, and the gas tank was still three-quarters of the way full. So it was, like, not like they needed to make, at least according to the car, they didn't mean to make, like, a stop for something urgent. Yeah. You know? Unless maybe they had, like, a medical issue or something like mm-hmm. that. They might have needed to, but according to the car, they should have just been fine driving home. So, Daniel's Chevy Nova had been parked near an area which was actually designated for trucks. So, like, you know when you go to a rest stop and there's, like, the trucking area and the car area? So, this was found, like, in the trucking area. Okay. And so, it was left along the side of the, like, acceleration ramp. Like, so when you leave it rest stop like you accelerate back onto the freeway like you don't just like turn onto the freeway it's like that whole big long like ramp that like gets you back on so it was left along the side of the acceleration ramp literally like right next to a no parking sign and the car had been parked half on the shoulder and half on the road so it was like halfway like facing like on the road and then halfway like in on the edge of this ramp like basically in the grass you know A Virginia state trooper came out to inspect the vehicle, and he was about to have it towed, but he heard a missing persons call come over the radio at, like, that exact moment, and this call noted that they were looking for two people that had last been seen inside of a gold Chevy Nova. So he's like, oh, this is that car. Like, block it off. We're going to investigate this car just to make sure, which is good, because this case, like, unlike the other one, they didn't really lose out on valuable evidence. I mean, obviously nothing was found really that helped solve this case because it hasn't been solved, but it's like, at least you know you did everything right. Like, I think in the previous one, it's like, well, what if there was something here that we could have taken? Yeah, fingerprints, all of that. Right. What if there was something here that would have solved this case if they just didn't move it, you know? So, upon inspecting the vehicle more closely, the uh, state trooper found that the passenger and the driver's side doors were unlocked. And the keys to the vehicle had been left in the ignition. And we've heard this before. Like, this is something the that's been happening in the first one. And in the second one, the keys had been left in the ignition. Um, an inspection of the vehicle, like I said, proved it was fine. Nothing was wrong with it. Nothing needed to be fixed in this car. It wasn't like this car had been broken down and they had walked to go get help. It just seems like somebody parked this vehicle and then disappeared. Almost all of the items that Daniel had gotten from his family's house were still there. Um, except for a couple of things like he had been given an electric blanket that was gone and a couple hundred dollars that he had gotten from his family were gone as well. Um, but everything else like was still in the car. 
So strangely, kind of like the previous case, the vehicle looked like it had been driven somewhere wet or muddy or somewhere like grassy, like in the woods, because there was a large amount of dirt and grass stains and like a lot of weeds like underneath the car. So it's like if you're driving your car through like, like, you know, like a a highway, you shouldn't have a bunch of like grass underneath your car. But it's like if you might be driving it through a field or somewhere like like you're off roading where you maybe shouldn't off-road a Chevy Nova, like, you're going to get stuff, like, stuck Mm -hmm. underneath. So that information, like, really surprised Daniel and Anna's families because it's, like, they were, like, they shouldn't have been driving anywhere than other than I-64. Like, they had no reason to go off-road this vehicle at 11.30 at night. Like, this is not something that they needed to be doing. So it was found on a rest stop also, like, on the opposite side of the interstate, um, so their families immediately believed that someone other than Daniel might have driven this, his car to his location and left it there. Like they were like, we kind of like the previous case, they're like, there is no reason they would have been here. Like, like if maybe it had been left in a, a location that they were more likely to be at, maybe we could see that they got out of their car there and encountered some sort of trouble there. But in this case, it really, really looks like somebody brought it there. Like somebody did something to them and then drove their car to this location because this location is not where they're supposed to be at all. Like it is just not where they're supposed to ever have been near. Like it's just it's not something that they would have needed to be at. So a massive search was called in Um, because of the location that the vehicle had been found so, like, again, like, the last one, it had been found on, like, that's Parkway. So, it was, the investigation was led by the FBI. Now, in this case, it would have been found along the interstate. So, it was, it was controlled by the Virginia State Police. So, okay. it just, like, depends on where it was found, you know. Like, I think that just, like, determines the jurisdiction of who investigates the case. Um, the Virginia State Police used tracking dogs and helicopters, kind of like the previous case. However, no sign of Daniel or Anna Maria was found. On October 19th, which was about six weeks after they disappeared, uh, their bodies were discovered on a logging road near I-65 and Route 155, which was about 30 miles away from the I-64 ramp to the Colonial Parkway. So it wasn't that far away from the Colonial Parkway. And this was about two miles away from the rest stop where they had found his car. So at around 8 o'clock the morning of October 19th, there was like a couple of turkey hunters. Like, I guess it was like turkey hunting season. And they discovered a blanket in the woods, which ended up being that electric blanket that that had gone missing from the car. Um, They moved the blanket and they discovered the bodies of Daniel and Maria. And obviously police had been searching for them for about two months. At this point. So it had been a lot of time. Um, So their bodies had heavily decomposed, um, which made identifying a cause of death nearly impossible. So they have, at this point, encountered a couple different cases, um, which police thought was interesting. In the first case, the bodies of the individuals were found in the car. Like they, it was the bodies were not moved. It was not like they had made any attempt to take them out of the car. They were found in the car. In the second case, the bodies were found in the water. So it was like a clear 
decision by whoever had done this to move the bodies from wherever they had been located, like at least out of the car. In the third case, they were never found. And then in this case, they were moved somewhere even farther away because it has been taking police longer and longer to like find them each time. Yeah. So at least one... Um, at least one theory was be, was able to been have been um, like kind of figured out by finding these by finding their bodies because Anne Maria had a significant cut on her finger by a knife that hadn't healed, so which indicated that it happened shortly before her murder. Um, this was kind of the only thing that they were able to prove, but medical examiners said they could not rule out the possibility of gunshots. They couldn't find any evidence of them, but like I said, like because of the amount of time that had passed, unfortunately, they couldn't prove anything. Like yeah. They were like, well, maybe gunshots have happened, maybe they were killed with a gun, but we just can't prove that. But they could prove like through medical records like on her finger, they were able to see like where the knife had cut her, like even on her bone. Um, they said that, however, though, if they had been shot, the bullet had not gone through bone because they would have been able to see that. Yeah. Um, both sets of remains were identified through medical and dental records. Um, it took like a little bit of a process to, to find each of these individuals. Sadly, they weren't able to just like identify them by looking at them. So it took kind of a long process to ID them. Um, but in the end, they were both positively identified as Daniel and Anna Maria. Um, like I said, because their bodies were unfortunately so decomposed at the time of discovery, the medical examiner's office could not identify official cause of death. Um, as a result, they weren't really able to define any information from finding Daniel and Anna Maria, which was really, really like hindered the investigation because they were not able to ID like a cause of death or maybe like um like what this killer had used so they weren't able to tie it as much to the other ones as maybe they could have if they had been found earlier yeah so they do think that it's part of it they just don't have the evidence yeah they just like they don't really like i think they do definitely tie this case to the other three just because of the fact that it was it was a young couple they were found in the same area it seems like this was the same like, mode that the killer had used in previous cases, like, moving their car somewhere it wouldn't have been, and disposing of their bodies somewhere else is, but they didn't, they just didn't have as much information as I think they might have hoped to have. Yeah. Um, several pieces of evidence related to this crime were never recovered. Uh, they never found Anna Maria's wallet. Um, they found... Anna Maria wearing Daniel's socks and shoes, which was like a little bit weird. So she was not wearing her own. She was wearing his socks and his shoes. And a couple of her personal documents had been found near the bodies. So like her social security card was found near there. And like a birth certificate was found near the bodies, which was very strange. Well, is it because they went back home and maybe they needed these documents? Maybe, but it was just weird that like whoever had done this like left that left out. Left that out and like took that intentionally took that because there was like a lot of other things that he decided or they decided not to take. So like why these things, you know? Yeah. Like why this particular thing? Um but because like they did 
take the money and um, the contents of Anna's wallet were never found. It made it difficult for police to be like, oh, well, is this the same person? Because in the previous ones, nothing had been robbed. Like, it hadn't been, like, nothing had been stolen. So it was clear that the other cases were not a robbery, whereas this case, they weren't able to rule out entirely if it was a robbery or not. Like, maybe this was a carjacking or something because these things were stolen. So it it, it makes it difficult, more difficult for police to be like, this is clearly, clearly, clearly the same person that did the other couple. And they weren't able to really find any suspects for this one. Like, they weren't really able to to find anything, anybody in particular. They were never able to figure out if any evidence, nothing came back, no fingerprints came back, nothing. That's crazy. Like, no, like, no witnesses? Nope. Nothing. There was a couple people that had, like, claimed to see them, um, either on the 4th or on the 5th, but it was, like, well, obviously, there's, like, no pictures or anything, like, at this time, like, there's, they weren't able to, like, find any concrete proof, so it was more people just, like, eyewitness accounts of being, them being, like, oh, I saw them at this rest stop, but it was, like, but did you really, yeah. or, like, or like, or is it somebody else? else that you just think looks like them, so, yeah, people weren't really able to, like, ever trace back anything, especially because it's the time, like, they could have been anywhere along this road yeah. when they were stopped, you know, That's like, it's just such a long a long time and then such like a long big area that they had to look for yeah so frustrating because in this last case they had the car i know and everything but then it just they seems like the they have so many pieces of evidence like or potential evidence but then they don't have like really important things to tie it together yeah. which i think plays into the theory personally of it being somebody in or like I think it ties into the theory of somebody being in, like, the police office work. Yeah, Or who has been part of that before because they would know what not to leave. They yeah. would know what not, like, what people would need to solve a crime. Like, they would know those things, you know? So I feel like they could take more steps to cover that up. Yeah, and it would go with what we were talking about earlier, too, mm-hmm. that people were stopping for this person or yeah. this person was able to get close to the victims. Yeah. Because like, it's like two versus like potentially right. one, one person. person. Yeah. So I think it just makes sense to me that he did have some sort of knowledge about like how people investigate and solve crimes. Like that makes sense to me. Because I think a normal person wouldn't necessarily know what to leave and what not to leave. Yeah. You know? I just... I, I think that just... Yeah, like, a lot of criminals we've seen are really dumb. I know. And, like, leave things that are super obvious to them. But yeah. this person, it just seems like either they got really lucky or, like, they knew exactly what to do. Yeah. So, in 1989, the four cases would be covered on a couple of national TV programs... Um, and then during these TV programs, like the people who are making them was like this is, kind of discuss a theory of this potentially being the same killer in every single case. Um, and police officials had kind of like talked about these links in the past. But I think after these like TV broadcasts had come on, it was kind of like a dateline thing, you know, like it was like something that everybody could watch. 
they began to approach that idea like more publicly so then like after these broadcasts they were like okay yes this is something we're investigating like if you have any information about these things being linked like please come forward so in each of the parkway murders um the victims had been a couple in two cases the victims bodies were recovered a short distance away from where their vehicles had been recovered um the locations of these four crimes seem to happen very very close together within like a span of about 20 to 30 miles so they were all discovered within 20 to 30 miles within two years two and a half years um the crime scenes discovered by the police in the first and third crimes were very close together and the victims bodies um from the second crime so that was david and robin were actually found less than five miles away from where Daniel and Anna Maria Phelps had been found. So these are all showing up, like they're all showing up in the same general area, in the same general span of time. And in all but one case, the first case, um, it was believed by police that due to the location of their cars and like the weird location where they're found, the victims may have been led away from their vehicles at gunpoint or encouraged to get out and go to a secondary location by somebody that they thought was important or somebody that they thought was, like, an authority figure, you know? Yeah, that makes sense, like we said. Yeah. Um, There was a couple differences between these cases um, that, again, it, it investigators were questioning whether there's part of the same, like, kind of set of crimes because these four crimes, like, seemed to, like lack the signature of like one person like it wasn't like one person used the same method we see that in other cases where one person will use the same method to murder people but in this case they couldn't find a singular method um in some cases the victims had been shot in another the victims were strangled right two of the victims bodies were never found and then the fourth one they couldn't identify a method of murder but they know for sure there's like a knife involved Mm -hmm, they did but it wasn't like enough for like it was like a cut on her finger so it wasn't enough it obviously wasn't enough to have killed her but they know there was a knife involved somehow yeah so again to me if this is the same person they would know that like they would and they were involved in law enforcement, they would know that a killer always uses the same method, right? Or at least in many, many cases, a serial killer usually uses the same exact method of killing somebody every single time, and it's easier to link the cases together if they do that. So to me, if they're in law enforcement, maybe they thought, well, to confuse police, I'm going to use a different method every single time because it's going to be harder to link it to me and it's going to be harder to even link it together to the same thing. So it's like, that way if I do get caught for one thing, they're not going to tie me to every other one together. Right? That's true. It just, like, makes sense to me, you know, that, like, it would be more of, like, a trick to try and, like, confuse the investigation, which they would know if they had been part of investigations before. Yeah, I guess I didn't really think of it like that, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Like, why they would do that or yeah. choose to use a knife in one case, mm-hmm. whereas... Yeah, like a gun in another case. So, because investigators had never been able to locate the scene where any of these eight victims had been killed, like, they were just able to locate the bodies. They didn't really think that any of them had been killed there. 
Um, it was believed that the killer had utilized similar tactics in one regard, which was like choosing to kill them in one location, taking them their bodies to another location, and then abandoning them in their cars in a third location. So like really throwing off the scent by doing three different things, putting mm-hmm. them in three different places. Um, again, this seems to me somebody who has a knowledge of some sort of criminal behavior, knowing that this would be really, really hard for people to, or the police to find all of these three locations, right? Like you might be able to find the car, but will you be able to Mm -hmm. find the bodies and you might be able to find the car and the bodies, but will you be able to find where I actually killed them? Like we see, no, like they weren't able to do that, you know? So it just suggests to me that this person has a lot of knowledge about maybe things that they've worked on in the past Mm -hmm. that involve the same sort of thing. Um, And detailed analysis from state police and the FBI actually revealed that it was almost a statistical impossibility for these four crimes to not be linked. So it was like, no, like these four things, like it's almost statistically impossible for these murders to be all separate murders, just like happening at around the same time. Yeah, and then around the same location, yeah. is that why? Yes, yeah. and like in the same like span of like, like in like such a short span of time mm-hmm. and in such a short location, and because these were all couples and it was like the same sort of idea in each one, it was, they were like, yeah, this is like almost impossible that it's a different person. Mm-hmm. So, again, they started to believe um, the that they had been attacked by a police officer or somebody in authority. It would explain why the victims had gotten out of their vehicles and gone along with their eventual killer willingly. Um, And if they believe this person was a law enforcement officer, they would have felt compelled to like comply with their demands. Like if they had like some like ridiculous thing, you need to get out of your car and you need to follow me up this hill. Like if you think it's a police officer, like, yeah, you of would course. be more likely to do what they tell you to do, you know? Like, if they're like, we're going to arrest you if you don't come with me back to my vehicle, you know? Like, something like that. Like, yeah, or like, we need you to get out of your car. Like, you might be, like, under the influence. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, it's just, it's so easy for them to manipulate you into doing what they want you to do. Um, in another theory is that it was, like, a group of killers because... They had all been attacked, like, in couples or in pairs. People are like, well, maybe it's not, like, a person posing to a police officer. Maybe it's a group of people. Like, maybe it's, like, like it's all part of one system. Like, these aren't separated in the fact that it's, like, four totally different people. Maybe it's just, like, a group of, of killers. Um, and a behavioral science specialist named Larry McCann did believe that more than one person had been involved in the crimes, and he said it was because he doesn't think one person could have controlled the victims. Um, like, he said he thinks there needed to be two. Like, if there's two victims, there needed to be two killers at the scene. Um, because he believed it would have been too much for one person to handle. I can see that if it was not, like, an authoritative figure. Yes. But I think if it was, then it wouldn't have needed to be yeah. two people. Like, I think it would have it wouldn't have needed to be two people until it was, like, too late. You know? Like, mm-hmm. once they figured out that they were a dangerous person and not a police officer. Um, But by that time, it might have been too late for them to fight back. Yeah, and then I also think, like, having more people involved 
comes with more people maybe wanting to confess mm-hmm. or maybe like people that know the killers yeah. like will be like oh like so and so is acting weird like yeah they all go out at night during yeah. this time or and like, like something knows, yeah i do i think so as well i just think i i i see it more as one person either being an actual police officer or, or posing as one mm-hmm. yeah so like I said, there's a couple additional possible victims linked here, but they weren't able to, police or the FBI weren't ever able to, like, officially link them because it didn't have as many similarities as the ones that we've talked to before. Um, on August 21st, 1984, so this was way before the first murders. This was, like, two years before the first ones. Um, the bodies of Mike, Michael Sturgis Margaret and Donalyn Hall were found in a wooded area approximately 300 yards southwest of the King's Crossing apartment complex uh, in Richmond, Virginia. So, same general area. Um, It was also a couple. Both victims had been stabbed and their throats were slit. So, this seems a lot like the first Mm -hmm. murder as well. Um, The state coroner stated that Mike and Donna had likely died at about 2 a.m. on August 18th. And both had Demerol, which is a narcotic sedative in their systems and Donna specifically had an extreme level of Demerol in her system but there was no Demerol found at this crime scene so it's believed that they had overdosed or maybe been like drugged at another location and then taken there some but detectives believe that these were actually the first victims in the case due to the similarities in their deaths to the first one and in their locations yeah um and I think what's throwing this one off is the fact that they were drugged we don't see that in any other case and many investigators believe well if this person drugged the first two like why wouldn't they have done the same tactic to the rest of them now however they could have figured out that well maybe it's easier not to drug these people maybe it's easier to pretend i'm a police officer Mm -hmm. and get them to come willingly with me somewhere else yeah Yeah. like he yeah, that could have been it, or maybe it wasn't needed. Right. Or maybe it was too difficult to do. Right. Um, but some people believe that these were actually the first victims. Hmm. Brian Craig Pettinger, who was 25, was last seen at a Hampton, Virginia dance club on December 4th, 1987, at around 11.30 p.m. Two months later, on February 3rd, 1988, uh, Pettinger's body was found by fishermen uh, floating in a marshy area of the James River in Suffolk, Virginia. Um, and he was floating with his wrists and nank- ankles tied and a rope around his neck. So people kind of, they're like, maybe this is it because he's just in the same area. But again, this doesn't really follow the MO of it being couples. Yeah. So they don't really know. Laurie Ann Powell Compton, uh, who was 18, went missing on Tuesday, March 8th, 1988. She was having an argument with her boyfriend, which ended up with Laurie getting out of his car. And she walked, like, she was, like, kind of getting out of his car and walking along the freeway. Um, she was walking on the, uh, on Route 614 in the White Marsh area of Portsmouth, Virginia, in Gloucester County. On April 2nd, 1988, Lori's body was spotted floating in the James River near Ragged Island, which is where the second couple was found on Ragged Island. Um, Her body was found nude, no bindings, and with multiple stab wounds to her back. So again, this is the same area that other bodies have been found. 
Um, again, it's not a couple, but it is weird that it's around all the same time. Like, mm-hmm. these people keep on being murdered and killed in these specific locations. And this is after or is still before? It's like the same around the, around oh, the same okay. time. So the first one that I talked about, um, Michael and Donna, were before mm-hmm. in 1984. And then this was in 1987 and 1988, which was like during the exact same time that the other things were happening oh. as well. So it's during the exact same time, in the same location. Now, the difference between these two is that these were not a couple. So both of these people, Brian and Lori, had been alone. But I don't think that necessarily rules out it being this serial killer. Like, maybe, like I don't think they needed to target couples, you know? like Yeah, because like you said, they but... could be throwing people off again. Yes. If they know that's what they should be doing mm-hmm. or that's going to confuse like police, which obviously it is confusing yeah. them. Yeah, because it's so odd that it is happening during the same time. And then, like, that person said about it not being, like, mathematically possible Mm -hmm. or probable for these to be, like, different people. Yeah. Yeah. Not linked together. Yeah. I can see that happening. Yeah. Um... So those are the people that are kind of, like, thought to be linked, maybe, but they haven't been able to identify that or establish those things as clear links just because of the differences in their cases. So there's a couple suspects in this case that I'm just going to note, but obviously none of them have panned out. So in 2009, a man named Fred Atwell, who was a former former police deputy, deputy from Gloucester, began informing the family members of victims that crime scene photos that have been taken at the location of the crime scenes has had been being distributed to the public over the years. So he said, like, somehow the pictures of your loved ones who are supposed to be taken at the crime scene and kept only by police are being given to the public when they're not supposed to be given mm-hmm. to the public. And he said that since this was an unsolved crime, the distribution of these photos was a major breach of protocol and could impact the investigation. And Atwell said that he told the FBI about this oversight, um, but he was ignored for weeks. Um, And after that, he took the story to the press. So he kind of like went to the newspapers and the media and told them what was happening. Um, So... This was, like, the area's, like, most famous, like, cold case at this point. And because of this publicity, people, like, the investigation into the Colonial Parkway murders was, again, jump-started. So this had been, like, a couple years, like, 20 years later after people couldn't solve this. And so this is about 20 years later. They started looking into it again because he had gone to the media. Now, some people kind of saw him as, like, a hero, was like, oh, you got attention for the case again. Like, you know, you're watching out for these people. But almost immediately afterwards, Atwell said that the FBI began to view him as a suspect. He had been a deputy for Gloucester County at the time, and he did live in the area that all of the murders occurred. So he had been active and, you know, about in the area when the murders occurred. Um, Despite Atwell claiming to have an alibi for the night of all four of the Parkway murders, Um, He did fit the profile that investigators had established, and to make matters worse, reporters started digging into his backstory, and they discovered that he had been a convicted criminal before he became a cop, 
Um, and he had served time for multiple bur- bur- burglaries <laughs> before he became became a deputy in 1981. So it's not he wasn't like I don't think these burglaries were necessarily violent, but you never know. Like maybe he has so much interest in this case because he was part of it. Like maybe he wanted to stir up. He knew like he wasn't getting enough attention. I don't think this is the case at all. I don't think he's a suspect and they weren't ever able to prove that. But it just is something that, like, a lot of people were focused on at the time. Yeah, I'm also not saying he's a suspect or he did all, committed all the murders. But, yeah, it is interesting how he brought the case back mm-hmm. to light. And he's a police officer. He has a criminal yeah. background. Yeah, it's just, like, all these coincidences. Yeah. But, yeah, I feel like the person involved would want this case to get attention. Because yeah. they're like, oh, all this work I did and now it's not even yeah nobody knows about it yeah because I feel like that's what we hear in a lot of cases they like Mm -hmm. to show off what Mm -hmm. they did or in some cases they like to be really close to the case like they go to search parties or whatever it is they like to be involved yeah exactly so I think that's kind of what they're thinking for this guy too nothing really hands out um and in 2012 it actually he actually had but he was arrested because he, they found out that he had defrauded some of the Parkway victims' family members. So he had, like, stolen about $300 from them that had been raised in a raffle to fund a private investigation. And he said he was in charge of this raffle and was going to use it to fund this private investigation. But instead, he used the funds on personal things. Wow. Yeah. So he went to prison for fraud, actually, and ended up wow. passing away in prison. Oh. So another suspect that they thought of could be a man named Ralph Leon Jackson. In 2012, Jackson attacked a couple driving along a parkway in western Virginia, which is about three hours away from the rest of the murders occurred. He shot and killed 27-year-old Timothy Davis and also shot at his date, Christina Floyd. Uh, Christina escaped and lived. um, And in 2011, Jackson was sentenced to life in prison plus 35 years. He has not been officially linked to the Colonial Parkway. Um, however, this crime seems pretty similar to ones committed in the late 80s and 90s. Yeah. It's another couple. He's using a gun. Um, right? It seems like he might be either a similar, like have a similar motive, or maybe he's the same person. Yeah, that seems like the most compelling mm-hmm. to me. What year did you say? 2011. So, okay, so it's it like was a long like tw- 20, yeah, 21 yeah. years after the fact. So it does seem kind of unlikely that during, like, it, because these completely stopped. There was nothing in between that time. Like, there was nothing in between that police think is linked. After the murder stopped in 1989, this is kind of the first one that they're like, oh, well, this is sort of similar, you know, um, to the ones that happened before. Mm-hmm. But it, they do think it's interesting because it was an abrupt stop in 1989. Yeah. So, yes, definitely willing to w- look at. Um, another suspect that investigators have looked into over the past couple of decades is former Virginia State Trooper John Walter Ball, who was shot and killed in August of 1990 while attempting to rob a convenience store in King William County. Because he seemed to fit the profile of the Parkway killer, so he was a an offender, a criminal offender, with a background in 
law enforcement, and he died in 1990, it would make sense why the Parkway Killers killing spree ended in 1989. So police questioned whether he had been involved in that. Maybe he had been the person who was behind all these killings. However, since he was shot and killed, they were not ever able to prove anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just like... Yeah, I guess it could have been him. But then he was robbing a convenience store. Yeah, it doesn't really seem to fit the same kind of motive. Like, again, robbery doesn't really seem to be... Whoever was doing this, it doesn't really seem to be their main main motive. Um, Another potential suspect is a man named Jesse Ronald Walling. Walling was a middle-aged man that was arrested in 1989 for raping and killing 23-year-old Madeline Lashbrook in Newport News. He had a prior history of sexually harassing women, um, and because of this, he was deemed to be a sexual predator. So he was really only investigated because it was the same area, and he had murdered this woman. But they said he probably wasn't linked because this was a sexual crime, and in the previous Parkway crimes, these did not seem to be motivated by somebody looking to sexually assault the victims. Mm. So they kind of ruled him out as well. Yeah. But he was investigated for a little bit. But officials have revealed that there remain more than 130 suspects in this case, uh, none of whom have ever worked out over the past 34 years or however long it's been since this case, about like 30, yeah. Um, But all who remain possibilities for prosecution. So there's more than like 130 left that I guess they still have to identify. Oh, wow. Yeah. That, that's just so unfortunate. I know. Because I'm sure some of these suspects have, like, died or, like, the, well, two that you said, actually, right? Mm -hmm. One died in jail. Passed away, yeah. So they can't really prove it. Like, if it, if it was somebody that has passed away since, it would be almost impossible to, like, either get it, obviously get a confession or even, like, match DNA because it'd be so hard to match DNA evidence at this point. Yeah. Even if they found some that they could use. But hopefully they, yeah, they're not committing these crimes anymore. They're, yeah, like whoever this was, like it seems like they're either either passed away or they're in jail for something else. Yeah. But I know, I hope that this gets solved just to give people some closure and just to be able to like kind of answer a lot of questions I think that people have. Mm -hmm. It's not impossible. Yeah, exactly. It's not impossible, like. They've solved cold cases like that yeah, before, that's true. so it's not impossible. But and now with like all the new technology mm-hmm. we have, I feel like yeah, it definitely is possible. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's probable, but it's definitely possible. Yeah. But that is it. Yeah. That is the end of part two. Well, thanks for sharing that. I I hate the unsolved cases. <laughs> unsolved cases. I know. It's just there's no like ending to it like it's, no. there's no, no closure ending. no yeah yeah but if you have any information yeah if you know anybody call the virginia yes yeah, or the fbi because the they're both working on it yeah so it's yeah. still an open case it then. is still an open case yeah. yes yep all right well, well thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode yeah.